All right, guys, so we're going to get right into the book of Micah today, and so we're going to look at the first of three messages. Uh, this one is, the first message is in chapter one through chapter two, and it's about judgment that is approaching, that is coming, and it's a message for Judah, okay? Now, remember, all the other prophets that we've looked at so far primarily have been to the northern kingdom. And while this is a pre-exilic prophet, he is prophesying to the southern kingdom of Judah about that they need to be concerned as well, okay? And that God's bringing judgment on them as well for sins. Now, when we talk about going to a book like this, we need to remember who are we talking to. So who is the book written to, first of all? Anybody can tell me? Who's it written to? I heard, I heard whispers. Jews, yes, it's written to Jews, to the Jewish nation, to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So to Jews. Now, when we look at it and you say, okay, so it's spoken to them, what do we do? Well, the principle of biblical understanding is, is you understand who it's written to, why it's written, and then you take the principles from that and bring it into your situation today. So when you look at what he's talking about, he's talking to the Jews who, what can we learn from that? Who, who would it, the message be primarily for today? Believers, okay? Not, not Gentiles, because Gentiles includes unbelievers. It's, it's for God's people, okay? There's some lessons there for God's people. And, and part of the lesson that I think we're going to see today is, is that you can be a part of God's people and still be judged, now, when I say you can still be judged, let me just qualify that. I'm not saying judged as in going to hell. Does everybody understand that? But judged as in discipline. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So, for instance, I remember as a boy getting in trouble, and my dad would discipline me. He didn't throw me out of the family. He disciplined me. Did you understand? I faced his judgment, but his judgment wasn't the ultimate judgment. You're out of here. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was to discipline me. And God is the same way. So I hear a lot of believers today that, you know, we're, we're kind of talking about it in the morning service, the message there with Romans, that, well, you know, I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want to. No, 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 you, that's not true. Yes, you're not going to go to hell, but... You're his child now, and as with any child who does wrong, he's going to what? Discipline you, right? Okay, so what we can learn from this is there's a message for you and I in this, okay? So let's begin, first of all, with chapter 1, verse 1. And it's basically going to tell you who the prophecy is from. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So these are prophecies that he saw concerning Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem, which is the capital of what? The southern kingdom of Judah, okay? So these are the prophecies. So the the writer introduces the book as the prophecy given to the prophet Micah, okay? 
Now, if you remember, we don't know anything about him. We just know where he's from. But we don't know anything more else about him. It was given to the prophet during the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, some of those, especially Ahaz, were not good kings. Hezekiah was. We know that, right? He was a godly king. But his father, Ahaz, was not. In fact, his father was so enamored with the Assyrians that he went to visit the Assyrian capital, took a sketch of their great big idol that they had to their god, and came back and had the same idol built and put in the temple. That's how bad he was, okay? So these, this is when this guy was prophesying, so not necessarily a good time. So here's what I want you to notice. So here, with each one of these three speeches, they all begin the same way. So verse 2, Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. All right, so the prophet calls the peoples of the earth to pay attention to what the Lord is saying, okay? So each one of these three speeches, so if you go over to chapter 3, if we go to chapter 3, it begins with, hear you heads of Jacob, okay? So then if you go over to chapter 6, he's beginning the same way, calling people to listen, in chapter 6, hear what the Lord says. So there's a call to hear, okay? So he's, he calls the people to pay attention to what the Lord is saying. Here's what it is. The prophet states that the Lord is coming to bring justice on the world. Look at verse 3. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured out down a steep place. So God is going to show up, and when he shows up, it's going to be terrible, okay? It's going to be terrible. So the Lord is bringing judgments, judgment because of the transgression of the northern kingdom. Look at what it says in verse 5. All this is for tr the transgression of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. Now here he's specifically talking about the northern ten tribes. That was usually referred to as Israel. Okay? What it, but then also notice what he says, verse 5. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? So what's going on here? He's bringing judgment, but here's what he's going to say. The capital of Samaria is representative of the sins of Israel, just as Jerusalem is for Judah. So he says, you want to know what's going on and why I'm bringing this judgment? You only need to look at one place, the capital, because what's going on in the capital is what's happening everywhere else. It's indicative of everything else. He's saying, and the same thing is true for Jerusalem. The sins of the southern kingdom can be represented by who? Jerusalem. 
okay? So when you see what's going on and being tolerated, that's what's permeating the entire nation. Would everybody say that's pretty true? Why would that be true? Why would the capital, what goes on there, be representative of all of the sins of that nation? Okay, the, the, the rules and the laws that are generated or ignored there, right? A lot of times it's what they ignore, and in their instance, they ignored a lot, okay? What else? What else do you think? Yeah, leadership is there, and they set the tone, okay? What about the culture of a society is there as well? What's tolerated and not tolerated, okay? So these nations... Their sins are represented by their what? Their capitals and what's going on there, okay? So the Lord will make Samaria a desolate place as its stones are brought down. So here's what he says, verse 6. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. So basically he's saying, I'm going to destroy the place. Now, trust me, this isn't, these aren't wooden buildings, wooden frame buildings we're talking about here. These are stone buildings. And these are buildings that are built to last, endure for the ages. But he says, I'm going to rip it down into a heap. And the only use of that area is going to be for a vineyard. The only thing that can grow there is vines for grapes. That's it. And I'll cast your stones down the hill. So basically, we're hauling away all the garbage. You know what I'm saying? So he's making it very clear that the Lord's going to make Samaria a desolate place. And here's what it says. All of the idols and images of Samaria will be destroyed. This is what they were, that's one of their sins, wasn't it? Idol worship, false worship. Here's what it says. All her carved, verse 7, all her carved images shall be beaten into pieces. And all her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. From the fee of a prostitute she gathered them to the fee of the prostitute they shall return. Now that last part is a kind of curious statement there. I'll explain to you what it means. So first thing I want you to see is that all the idols and images are destroyed. Just as Samaria would pay temple prostitutes, they will continue the process in their exile. So here's what they would do. I, you have to understand, when we think of these, these, even though they're God's people, they're not doing right. They're worshiping false idols. Now, you have to understand what their idols were, okay? It's an agrarian culture. Now, what, does anybody know what that means by an agrarian culture? Their culture is based on what? Farming, agriculture. And you're in a, you're in a dry, somewhat hot climate that is Israel, Canaan, okay? And so you need what? Water. And you need rain because without rain, will your crops grow? Okay. You're also in a culture which prizes children, especially male children. 
you need to have kids so that you can carry on the family name and they can carry on the inheritance that was received when they entered into the promised land that God gave them, right? So there is a need for what? Agriculture and for your children to bear children. I mean, kids to bear kids, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Your, your wives to bear kids. Now, here's the thing, though. The nations who were there, they had the same needs, but what they did was, is rather than go to the Lord God, they had created their own gods, Baal, Ashtaroth, all these other gods. They're all fertility gods. Now, do you understand what I mean by a fertility god? They're all gods that are to be appeased so that Baal was the rain god. So you worship Baal so that you would what? Get rain. Ashtaroth, which was represented by a gross pole, was a fertility god so that you could have what? Kids, okay? And so they would sacrifice and do everything there. But that's not just sacrificing that they did. Their rituals included, are you ready for this? Sexual practices where they would have temple prostitutes. You would go and pay a prostitute and thereby you are engaging in sex with, supposedly with the God. Do you understand? And so, yes, they would say they worship the Lord, but they're also involved in what? False worship that includes sexual practices. Now, do you understand why the Old Testament God will call idolatry the same thing as immorality? Did you ever wonder that? Because sometimes when you read the prophets, when it's very clear that he's talking about idolatry, he is talking as well about what? Immorality. And this was the practices of the nations, and they had involved themselves. And so the prophet is saying, I'm going to come and destroy all your image. God's going to come and destroy all your images. He's going to bring them to nothing. And, and the money that you paid to the, pro to the prostitute, you'll do that again. Meaning, but somewhere else. Where? In exile. Do you understand? You're going to be gone from here. And you can do that somewhere else, but you're not doing it in my land. Did you understand what I'm saying? And so the reality is, is that just as Samaria would pay temple prostitutes, they would continue to process in exile. Let's go on. Notice with me now the destruction of Judah. Because you say, oh, that's all the northern kingdom. But Judah, they're doing okay, aren't they? <laughs> Judah's doing fine, right? Look at verse 8. Here's what verse 8 says. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentations like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all in Bethlehem. Roll yourself in dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafar. In nakedness and sh shame, the inhabitants of Zanan. Do not come out. The lamentation of Bethel shall take away from you its standing place. 
For the inhabitants of Morath wait anxiously for good because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. All right, now notice there's a couple of phrases here in this statement that the judgment is coming to where? What, particularly what it says there, not just Jerusalem, but to the what? To the gates of Jerusalem, okay? So now he's shifting from talking about the destruction that's coming to the northern kingdom. He's now going to talk about that the same judgment that's going to take them is going to come to the gate of Jerusalem. And we know that took place. But I think it's interesting when I was studying this prophet that God warned them this was going to happen. Here's what happens now, okay? So Micah expresses his anguish at the destruction of the northern kingdom. So he, he, they're a little bit more... Their culture is a little bit different than ours. So if something terrible happened... Rob, let's say you got some disastrous news, okay? Maybe, maybe you heard that something happened to a family member and you are upset. And How would you react? What would you normally do? Be upset. Be upset? How would you express that? Sorrow, just be mad, stay at home, brood, and you be a different mood? Okay. Well, how would you do it, John? Okay, well, it's not just that he rolled himself in dust. Did you read what he does? He strips down naked. Uh, would, would you guys do that? Just rip off all your clothes and wail like the, like the jackals? Now, you understand what that means. You've heard the coyotes, right? You're wailing like a, well, the closest thing for us would be a coyote. You're wailing like a coyote. I have no clue what an ostrich sounds like, okay? But, uh, but my, my point is, you're doing all that, you're stripping down naked, and then you're rolling yourself in dust. Would you say that's a pretty graphic display of anguish? But we don't do that, but they are a little bit more outward in their expression of grief. So Micah points out that this destruction will be felt by Judah even to the gates of Jerusalem. So the destruction is what? The Assyrian Empire coming and destroying the northern kingdom, carrying them away to exile. But we also know from the historical narratives, we've already talked about this before, did they just stop at the border? No, they came into Judah and conquered everything except what? Jerusalem. They were outside the city to the gates. So the judgment is coming to the gates. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Because listen to me, this prophecy was given before that even took place. He's giving this prophecy while the northern kingdom is still in existence. Isn't that amazing? This is where this is at. God is letting his people know what's going on. So Micah calls for the news of the coming destruction to be withheld from Gath. Now why? Why would he want, anybody got a clue? Why doesn't he want the news that everything's going to be destroyed withheld from Gath? Who lives in Gath? Anybody know? 
Anybody know who's from Gath? There was once a famous guy from Gath. David killed him with a stone. Goliath, who was from what people? Philistines, who are what? The ancient enemies of Israel. And so the prophet is saying, don't share this news with our enemies. Did, you, know, have, ever, you understand what he's saying? Like if something's going wrong, you, you've got some bad news or some crisis, and you're like, who, who do you want me to tell that to? Tell that to anybody but that person. Why? Because you don't want that person to know that you're going through it. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because that, that person might be somebody who gloats over what happens to you. We all understand that, right? And that's what's happening here. So he calls for the news of the coming destruction to be withheld from Gath. Here's what he says. The cities of Judah, and he goes through a number of them in this passage, are to mourn because of the destruction is coming to Jerusalem's gates. Okay? So that would be like, okay, so, all right. I, I live in Kerwinsville. Rob, you live over in Goshen, okay? You live where, John? Lance, okay, Lance. Dottie, you live over near Mahaffey, okay? Bob, you live in Clearfield. And Bruce, you live in the promised land between, between us and uh, Dubois. Chestnut Grove, okay, all right. All right, so we have folks from different parts. Oh, hold on, we, got, we forgot one person. Randy, where do you live? Frenchville, okay. All right, and it's all in what county? Clearfield County, okay. All right, let's make this prophecy for today. Let's say Micah says, I'm going, and he's pronouncing judgment that Jefferson County is going to be destroyed. And then he says, well, weep, because the judgment's coming to the gates of Clearfield. Meaning everywhere else around it is going to be what? Destroyed. Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, how are we supposed to react in Kerwinsville knowing destruction's coming? Meaning, who's going to get wiped out? Kerwinsville. How's Frenchville going to react? Scared? Goshen will probably grab their guns, right? Okay, Goshen will react to him, and Chestnut Grove, yeah. Because they're the first ones to go because it's coming from Jefferson County, right? Okay? So, I mean, the, the reality is, is you're supposed to mourn. He's making that point. All of these areas, because the destruction's going to come to what? It's going to consume everything up to what? The gates of Jerusalem. Wow. Okay? So they're not spared from the same judgment. Okay? They're not spared from the same judgment. In fact... He says the children of these cities in Judah will be taken into exile by the Assyrians. Look with me at verse 16. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair. Okay? Again, outward expression. All right? For the children of your delight, make yourself bald as the eagle. For they shall go from you into what? Exile. So he's saying to Judah, 
mourn. Because it's coming. And the kids that you love are going to be carried away into exile to be slaves to another kingdom. Wow, that's pretty harsh judgment, isn't it? Okay, pretty harsh judgment. And that's chapter one. Let's get into chapter two now. There's only 11 verses there. Here's why this is taking place, okay? First of all, he's gonna talk to the nobility, verses one to five of chapter two. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. And when the morning dawns, they perform it. Because it is in the power of their hand, they covet fields and seize them, houses and take them away. They oppress a, a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster." And in that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore, you have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. All right, so what's going on here? First of all, the causes of the judgment, the nobility. Woe is pronounced on those who devise evil at night and then perform it during the day. So there, he's talking about their nobility, which is the authority, the people who have the power. They're going to bed at night thinking about, let's say that'd be like if I'm a prince, I'm going to bed thinking about, you know that Rob Long, I kind of like his house over in Goshen. Well, let's see how I could figure that out tonight. How am I going to take that from him? So in the night, I'm thinking, devising my plan. And so guess what? In the morning, I go and carry it out. And I bring my big group of men and force him off and take it over. And why can I do that? Because I'm the authority. I'm the nobles. I'm the rulers. I can take what I want. You say, did that happen? Yeah. Remember in, in uh, 1 Kings, the story of Elisha? Ahab wanted a vineyard that belonged to Naboth. Naboth said he didn't want to sell it to the king, so the king was home moping around, crying and moaning the blues, and his wife Jezebel comes and says, what's the matter with you? And he says, oh, I want this vineyard. It's great olives there, but the guy won't sell it to me. And guess what? She said, oh, that's not a problem. It'll be yours by the morning. And so guess what? She devised a plan. They had all the elders who were all in corrupt devise a dinner. And at the dinner where Naboth is given the seat of honor, they accuse him of blasphemy and they stone him to death. And then Jezebel says to Ahab, arise and take Naboth's field. It's yours. That's just pure evil, right? That's what the prophet is talking about. It wasn't just Ahab who did that. It was all of them who were doing that. They were hoodwinking and taking what they wanted. They coveted lands and homes and seized them as they oppressed people. So authority was for whose benefit, folks? Were they in it for the people? No, they were in it for themselves, right? 
Okay? That's how corrupt the nation had become, where the people who are supposed to be in charge are doing it for who? Themselves. All right? So the Lord proclaimed that he is devising disaster for them so that they can't walk proudly. Because if you're a noble, you're walking around proudly. Hey, who's going to mess with you? Well, God says, I'm devising, I'm devising evil against your family. And you won't be able to walk haughtily anymore. Why? Because you're probably, if you're still going to be alive, are going to be a slave to a brutal another kingdom. The next group is the false prophets. Here's what I want you to see. The false prophets, look with me at uh, verse 6 through 11. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who, walk up, who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You stripped the rich robe from, from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. And from their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place for rest because of uncleanness that destroys. With the grievous destruction, if a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be a preacher for this people. All right, so let's talk about it. So the next group, he's saying this is the reason for their judgment. It's not just the nobility, but because of the false prophets. So here's what he points out. The false prophets told Micah not to preach about the coming judgment. They're like, hey, you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say that. In fact, Micah questions this since God has stated that he will do good to those who walk uprightly. He said, you know what, what do you mean what's wrong with my message? The message is from the Lord and you know what he says. If you walk uprightly, he'll what? Bless. But if you don't walk according to the covenant, if you don't do what the law says, then he will what? Bring what? Judgment. So these false prophets were telling him to be quiet because they're tooting this message about how great they are and everything's going to be wonderful and there's going to be lots to eat and drink and everything's going to be wonderful. Now, the false prophets rob the people as they trust the false message of peace. Literally, he says, they're taking their royal robes off of them. Literally, they're fleecing them. They're fleecing the people. You know? Fleecing the people. Did we see that today? That's what happens, right? You hear, you read about this kind of stuff. All right, because the false prophets teaching, the land has been defiled and the people will go into exile. Because of the false prophets' message, that means they're not doing right. They're not doing right. The land is filled with violence. They're not doing right because people are cheating each other. The land has become defiled and therefore they're going to go what? Into exile, all right? Into exile. So then, as with always, remember what I told you with these prophets. When he pronounces judgment and he says why the judgment is going to take place, 
What do the prophets always do? They always add one more element. A promise. Like, he's telling you this stuff about judgment, and he's explaining why it's happening, but he's also going to tell you, this is the promise of the Lord, if you do right. And ultimately, what will happen after the judgment. So, let me look, just got three verses here. Two verses. Verse 12, verse 13. Here's what he says. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel... I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, the noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, and the Lord at their head. Now, it's interesting. When you read that, does that remind you of something Jesus says? Remember one of the things that Jesus identified himself? Not just as the great shepherd, but he is the, what? Gate or door of the what? Sheepfold. Remember he said, all must come in through him. Anyone who goes another way is what? An enemy and a thief. Okay, when you read this, it brings up the reminder here because this is the only way that the sheep will go out is through the sheepfold and be led by who? The Lord. Okay, this is a messianic promise here. But here specifically, let's take a look. The Lord proclaims that he will assuredly assemble all of Israel again. So he's saying, yeah, you're all going away in exile, but here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you. They're a remnant, I will bring them back. I will reassemble the remnant, okay? And he will bring a multitude together like a noisy sheepfold. There's going to be so many of them, it's just going to be loud, like a sheepfold, okay? And then finally, the Lord himself will lead his people as their what? King. Now, do you agree with that statement, Willie? Will the Lord lead his people? Yeah, who will? Jesus, right? Second person of the Trinity, right? Will lead his people. What a promise. So already, right here in the beginning, we're going to see that Micah will refer to the Messiah. In fact, Micah is known for a, a, at least one messianic passage that we remember during the Christmas time. Okay? One messianic prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to see that as we get into the future. 